Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well met, fellow adventurers. I am completing, well, finishing, continuing Scavenger's Last Hunt. On to part three, a west from the world. At the conclusion of the previous part, as the small regiment toils away at the grim task of tending to the bodies of the slain travellers, you ride across the ancient (coughs) bridge and continue south along the highway. What you were told was accurate within a day's journey from the town of Briar Mill. For it's been just three days since you left the silver shaft the thought of a warm meal and the comforting glow of a fire make you wish you had inquired of the captain and his men about the town's available lodging. With the unsettling events at Bard Crossing still fresh in your mind, you struggle to focus on the daunting endeavour that lies ahead, a task which you are simultaneously loath to consider and eager to be done with. And now, The Locked Arms. The Locked Arms Inn. It is precisely a dereliction. A grey man stared across the table at the object of his quiet age. The sharp angled features of his slender face looked as though they might easily have been knocked out of stone. He pursed his thin lips and struggled to hold his tongue, hoping that the target of his eye would say something, anything. Even the most trifling detail that would suggest he was prepared to assume, sp- to assume responsibility for the spectacular fa- failure now looming on the not-too-distant horizon. 
The instant he discerned that no reply was forthcoming, he again spoke, adding an unnecessary edge to his already weaving tone of voice. A dereliction and a disgrace, he says, leaning forward as his eyes scoured the empty interior of the locked armed common room. You understand, Gunorius, that this has already moved move beyond my grasp. You can no longer rely on me to contain what has swelled into a brewing storm. Your delay has been very costly. I fear we may never be done paying for it. I'm not alone in holding that settlement. The mage has heard enough. What dwindling sense of duty had yet managed to attain was swiftly evacuating. His superior's tone dripped to condensation. The words stung. Glenorius, suddenly realising that some sort of response was asked for, or was called for, nodded slowly. Hoping the gesture would convey every false sentiment he could not bring himself to utter. Then, for a moment, and only a moment, he fantasised about killing Brumier. Put to it, he would likely vaporise the grey circle embassy though the thought of plunging a blade into the into the snide man's rotten heart would, would prove infinitely more satisfying for now though Brumier would live beyond any doubt Gnorris despised a wretched spy a man whose limited mastery of magic was laughable for one who would attain so lofty a post but the master mage was not blind to his antagonist purpose. Brumhir had yet had a role to play. Kinoris was content to let him toil at his part until its inevitable end. When the end did come, and it would, he would have his chance to settle things as he saw fit. For several minutes longer, the two men remained at the table, speaking softly each reminding the other the importance of their position in a business that had long since abandoned all hope of a simple and direct resolution. If I spoke harshly, I apologise, said Brumier as the two rose and prepared to depart. I found myself facing down your detractors more and more frequently as the days go by. I do understand the difficulty of your situation particularly that much of it is beyond your control. I do hope you'll forgive my manner. His superior's words seem sincere. For a moment, Gnorris feels guilty about having thought about killing him. He was certain that when a time came for Brumir to be dispatched, he would likely be struck by a similar sentiment. Unfortunately for the emissary, he would change nothing. When all of this was over, he, and a great many others, would have to die. I see no reason for us to meet again, said Gunora, straightening himself. Not until he reaches the thrones. That remains, of course, an eventuality. Not a certain. A certainty. We will know nothing more until, until then, and, in the meantime, we won the risk of discovery. I dare say neither of us finds that an agreeable prospect. 
and was now and then decided. The two men exited the inn and parted ways. Gnoris, certain he would not again see the intemperate into the entirety of the present business was settled, left content. His colleague, now somewhat convinced that the situation wasn't entirely as desperate as he had come to believe, left, not knowing that his next meeting with Gnoris, several months from now, would initiate his last hours among the living. Oh. The Locked Arms Inn in the town of Briar Mill. You didn't need to ask for the inn. Upon entering the small town of Byers Mill, which is little more than a scattering of buildings to the west of the forest road upon which you were riding, you followed an enticing aroma of a large icing aroma to a large wooden stone structure on the outskirts of the settlement. Despite the remoteness of the town, the inn, longer favoured of travellers braving this stretch of road, is filled with a noisy throng. After tending to your horse, you head inside, eager to escape the biting wind that seems to portend another long, another cold night. A night's lodging at the locked arms costs five gold. Alternatively, you can choose to sleep in the stables with your horse for a single gold token. The keepers of the inn, Tungrid and Macro, also make available a hearty stew for two gold. Hmm. So, these are my options. Pay for a night's lodging for five gold. Opt to sleep in the stables with your horse for one gold. Or decide to set up camp just outside town. That's free, but a lot less comfy. Hmm. You know what? With with all the stuff that's happening around around here, all the all the intrigue and deception, I want to be as close to my horse as possible for my own safety and for his. So I'll sleep with my horse, but not not in a weird way. Just near near. You pay for a night's lodging in the stable. Tingwin, the elder of the two brothers who own, who own the inn, accepts your gold and wishes you a good night's rest. He then tells you that the stew, one of the things for which the locked arms is somewhat famous, is nearly ready. Two bits of gold for some of our very best stew, he says before heading off towards a black back room, presumably to help with the meal. So I can have the stew or not. I'll have some stew. Stew is good. Seated on the bench, pulled up to the long table towards the back of the common room, you and over a dozen other patrons enjoy generous servings. The inn's rather famous stew, served in wooden bowls by the brothers Tingrun and Makra. The thick, steaming broth, composed mainly of venison, leeks and turnips, proves to be every bit as delicious as its reputation suggests. After three servings of the hearty stew, you lean back from the table and casually cast your gaze across the faces of those seated nearby. Despite the enormity of what lies ahead, 
you find yourself suddenly quite content to forget the pressing nature of your quest and relax in the warm glow of the fire in the company of strangers. Macaire, the younger of the two innkeepers, arrives at the end of the table and serves paleo to all present, making certain to stress, repeatedly, that the drink is included with the stew, as you and your fellow diners enjoy the hot, flavourful beverage, you contemplate striking up a conversation with one of them. You may converse with one of the people described below if you so wish. So these are my options. I could decide against speaking with anyone, which might be the smart thing to do, really, considering how dangerous the mission I'm involved in is, and how many spies there will be around, and how a lot of these people have shapeshifters in their employ. Woundskin definitely does. And... And Talinan is apparently a master of disguise, and so is Scavenger. So, yeah, there's a lot. Honestly, I could accidentally be talking to someone who, who will be able to deduce something from even the most seemingly innocuous conversation. But yet again, would not talking draw attention to me somehow? Who knows? Oh, I'll talk to people. Okay. So there's a young, witchly attired woman on your left. A grey-bearded man seated across the way. And a portly man seated on your right. A grey-bearded man. You strike up a conversation with the grey-bearded man and learn that early this morning he escaped a bandish ambush. Only a few miles south of town. He tells you the bandits were camped out in the ruins of an old shrine, not far from the road. Not much left of the shrine, he says, as if greatly disappointed. I always like to seek a blessing on the road. I suppose he ought to have left well enough and alone. Just wandering near that place almost put me in a bad way. Mind what I say and take care if you go past there. You thank him for the advice and wish him luck before rising from the table, preparing to turn in for the night. Suddenly, the inn door suddenly bursts open and a large man, his well-toned face partially hidden behind a wide brown beard, steps into the locked arms. It takes you only a, few, only a moment to realise that a mandolin is slung over his shoulder. He stomps across the common room, pausing to nod at both Tungrin and Makra, and seats himself into a chair by the hearth, where he immediately launches into some pleasant and loud renditions of several well-known songs. Within minutes, a large, num- a large number of patrons have gathered before the fire, many of them lending their voices to the clamorous ballads. The bearded man, you have come to recognise as a regular at the inn, strums his mandolin and sings long into the night. Much to the elation of the inn's lingering and increasingly drunken patronage, when at last he draws his performance to a conclusion, he rises unsteadily from his chair, nearly spilling out the flag and clutched 
in his hand and dips into a clumsy bow. bow. A smile spread across his face as the applause of those who remain, remain gathered fills the womb. Suddenly, your pulse quickens and you stifle a gasp as your eyes are drawn to something you cannot believe escaped your notice until just this moment. Carved onto the bridge of the minstrel's mandolin is a symbol that depicts a clawed hand clutching an eye. It's the mark of wound skin. Your eyes dart from the symbol on the mandolin to the face of the bearded minstrel, the large man. His stare now fixed on you takes a step in your direction as a murderous look spread across his broad face. As you attempt to assume a combat-ready stance, you suddenly find yourself unable to move. Realising you've become somehow transfixed by the man's gaze, you struggle to break free from his sinister hold. Picking a number, bonus of 40, 20 from mind, 20 from spirit. Got to get 75 or more, or I'll be wide open to some devious attack. 55. Failure. Unable to move, you cannot defend yourself. The man's fist slams into the side of your head. (laughs) Spinning, sending you spinning back into the wall. 27 damage. With your ears winging and your vision blurred, you struggle to maintain your balance as your attacker rushes forward, his sizable fists poised to wane down the series of savage blows. Is, Is this really happening? I don't know. The expression worn by your assailant suddenly changes from a look of rage to a crooked smile. Right before your eyes, the bearded minstrel's face transforms into the slender slender visage of a slightly older man. His wide torso follows suit, leaving behind only a a twin sliver of his former bulk. You suddenly realise... Just like the scene of the vanishing shoulders of Bard Bard Crossing. That yeah you've been made to see something that seems not to have actually occurred. Which means, of course, the damage didn't happen. Which is convenient. As the minstrel moves up to your side, a concerned look washes over his face. He places his hand on your shoulders, as if Believing you've become unsteady on your feet. A quick glance at his mandolin reveals that the instrument no longer bears the engraved mark of wound skin. You spend several moments convincing the minstrel and several nearby patrons that you are quite alright. As they disperse, you lean back against the wall, eager to allow your wasting thoughts to settle, before at last preparing to turn in for the night. After bidding a good night to your hosts, you make your way out of the inn and into the adjacent stables, eager to get some much-needed rest. You spend a damp, restless night in the stables, at the back of the stall housing your horse, your dreams plagued, plagued with thoughts of many, many miles still ahead of you. Sometime just before midnight, a heavy wane sweeps through, waking you out of your slumber as it pounds the stable roof. When at last dawn breaks, cool and rain-swept, you rise, groggy and aching. After dutifully tending to your steed, 
you gather your belongings and prepare to depart. Okay, looks like that wasn't the that wasn't the comfiest sleep, but my horse is safe, so that's okay. <laughs> suddenly, as you're leaving the stables, your eyes are suddenly drawn to one of the broad doors. Anonymous, but all too familiar symbol has been carved across the centre of the dawn's worn timbers. A clawed hand clutching an eye, it's the mark of wound skin. A quick examination of the carving reveals it to be a fresh mark. You can only presume the engraving was made some time during the night. An unnerving thought, suggestive of the intimacy of some unknown foe, leaves you momentarily shaken. With no way to know who was who was made who it was who made the marking, or to discern its intended purpose, he resolved to pay it no further mind and instead instead strive to invoke your entirety of attention to cover the many miles that yet lie between you and your destination. As Briar Mill disappears behind you, the curious events of the previous evening and this morning slowly recede from the fore of your thoughts, only to be gradually replaced by the nagging suspicion that you're being watched or followed. Despite the growing strength of the unnerving conviction, you're unable to readily identify a possible source for the eerie sense of unease. As the miles pass, your thoughts turn to Emmett Harler, recalling your parting at the Silver Shaft. You wonder what it is your friend is up to, whether or not anything has changed since the two of you last spoke. Hope that wherever she is, she's safe. Your thoughts suddenly scatter. A series of chilling shrieks wing out from somewhere along the road, on the western, somewhere in the forest on the western side of the road. The ghastly shrieks, unmistakably human, abruptly fall silent immediately suggesting a brutal end to whatever dire circumstance out of which they were born. With the dim echo of the shriek still ringing in your ears, you draw your horse to the side of the road and dismount, leaving the animal grazing. You steal into the woods and move swiftly to your best recollection in the general direction of the horrid shriek screams. And that finishes this part... For 64 XP to general. Okay. We've only been doing it for 20 minutes. I think we can do another episode. Part 4. The Company. Alright. Well, no, we don't have to read at the conclusion of the previous part. Because you've just heard that. And now. You've covered less than 100 yards of the hilly forest terrain when you suddenly realise that you're no longer certain about the direction of the screams. It's been several minutes since the last of the dreadful cries rang out and the resulting silence has left you struggling to determine a course of action. You decide to wait and listen. With your ears straining to detect any sound that might help you Hope to direct you to the location from which the cries originated. You remain perfectly still and wait. Apart from the chirping of the birds and the distant chatter of an upset red squirrel, you hear nothing. 
You're about to abandon your vigil when the sound of something moving through the brush behind you inexplicably fills you with a profound sense of dread. You spin around to face whatever is moving up behind you, instinctively drawing yourself into a defensive stance. For a moment, the mere sight of the strange being silently stepping through the undergrowth leaves you somewhat bewildered. As the wood and iron being continues towards you, its iron-tipped oaken limbs poised to strike, you quickly come to your senses and prepare to defend yourself against the Otorok's immediate attack. Alright, it's an Otorok, which means it is time to equip Umdral's Oaken Wad. Alright, here's the Otorok. Swipes it through its iron-tapped limbs. Adapted its combat tactics. Adapted to 11+. plus. Uh. Umjul's Oaken Wad suddenly emits a blazing green glow. The Otorok is stunned. It swipes. It tries to paralyze me, but it fails. Yeah, it's fighting like all the other Otorok. Otorok always fight the same. Even the weird ones. Alright. 25 XP. The Otorok crumbles into a heap of twisted wood and splintered wood and twisted iron. Breathing heavily in the wake of the brutal fight, you step back from the remains of your foe, only to have another, another unwelcome sight loom out into view out of the trees to the east. Three more Otorok moving silently through the tangled underbrush are swiftly closing in on you. So I could hold my ground and engage them or flee immediately. I'll deal with them now. The first of the three Otoroks, the swift but rigid movement of its limbs, whisper quiet, closes in attacks. Alright, that's one of them. 25 XP. Before you can catch your breath, the second Otorok is upon you. Quick combat. Another 25 XP. The last of the three Otorok steps over the remains of the first two as it launches a swift and fierce attack. Another Otorok, quick combat. 25 XP. As you step back from the remains of the last Otorok, you immediately spot a figure lurching off to your white. You immediately spin to face what you instinctively believe to be a new threat, only to have your eyes fall upon a tall, unshaven man leaning against the base of a large maple. The fur and leather clad man, who makes no attempt to reach for the axe slung from his belt, steps away from the tree and nods. Could you someone of your talents, he says. These creatures have been crawling all over these woods. I believe they're called Otorok. Foo. Foo, that seems to be a matter open for some debate, whatever they are. They're obviously looking for something, and we're hunting them. The man before you introduces himself as Gunnuid. He steps forward and promptly initiates a shoulder cross. You meet him in the friendly gesture and he smiles, as if your action has bestowed upon him some measure of relief. I'm, afra- I'm afraid you wouldn't recognise the old country, the old company these days, he says, grinning. You don't know me, of course, or the nine men in, in my charge. 
but we know of you, Zoop. Our leader, I'm afraid, is quite a ways from here. He and the others are tackling the big job, as you might expect. Leaving us with the clean-up work. Moments before Grunewid reveals the single piece of information he's holding at arm's length, a vivid image forms in your mind. The memory of a grand and perilous adventure in the rugged wilds with a man by the name of Jurig Aldwath, the Troll Hunter. Okay, um, now, it's been a long time since we've met him, so I'm going to read his description. Jurig Aldwath, the Troll Hunter. One of the, uh, one of the more infamous characters prowling in the wilds and alehouses of the North Broadland is a man by the name of Jurig, better known to most by his near-legendary moniker, the Troll Hunter. Once the feared leader of the Blackguard, Jurig has long since given up any direct ties he had with the outfit and with the Night Whisperers in exchange for the life of a freelance monster hunter. Jurig's speciality and that of his men who find themselves in, in his ploy is the hunting down and slaying of trolls. He's invented a special weapon that helps him in this effort and calls it the Troll Bond, Jurig's status, and the tales of his legendary exploits have become nearly, of his various exploits, have become nearly legendary throughout the realms, though he's still viewed by many as an untrustworthy outlaw source. A common part of his legend is he has never been bested in combat, and he fears no living man. Whether or not this is true, he's certainly amongst the most skilled warriors of his age. And I can attest to that by direct experience. Because we've, we've, I've, when I fought alongside side him, we brought down so many foes together and it was so cool. <laughs> yes, but... That was a previous adventure called Proving Grounds for the Troll Hunter. I think I'll I'll give a link to the first part at least in the in the description of this. If you need reminding or if you didn't listen to it the first time round. When you mention Jewig's name, Grundid laughs and nods. Yes, that's right, it's Jewig. We're part of his new company, he says. There's, there are still a few left from the old days, some you'd undoubtedly remember. Though none of them are with me at the moment. Jurig tells you that the entire company, both Jurig's larger force and his own smaller group, have been tasked with clearing the Oterok out of his weeg- this region of the forest. When you casually inquire about the assignment, you're surprised to learn that Gurid does not appear to be outwardly evasive, knows very little about the job at hand. Drake hasn't told any of us much of anything, he says, frowning. It's got some of the lads in a bad humour, and admit it doesn't sit well with me. Still, that's how he wants it, we'll need to abide by it. You immediately wonder what it is, who it is that has hired Drake and his huntsmen to tattle the, o- tattle the Otorok. 
and just how much your old friend and companion may know about the wood and iron beings. Do be sorry to have missed you, unless he and the others he and the others are good three days east of here, but you're quite welcome to make the trek with us. We're heading out within the hour, unless we run into any more walking sticks. I'd be honoured to have you. When you politely decline, telling him you have pressing business elsewhere, he nods. I can imagine that you find yourself quite stretched, he says. Well, I can only wish you luck on your travels. I let Jurig know you're well, at least as far as I can see. He often speaks of you. There's a, a series of alarm shouts go up from somewhere to the east. Without hesitation, Gurid draws his axe and rushes towards the cries. Turning in the direction of the shouts, he spots a large group of Oseroch quickly closing in on three of the huntsmen. So I do I join the battle, or do I depart immediately? Hmm. Oh, of course I'm going to join the battle. I mean, give me a... I'm not going to pass up the chance to smash some Oturok. You bound through the forest with Druid at your side. Your eyes locked on the nine Oturok, silently moving towards the three axe-mielding men. As you leap over, the decayed trunk of us fallen our hardwood. You find yourself face to face with two of the wooden iron towers. And here's the first. It's an Otorok. And it fights just like normal. Yeah. Oh, going to battle wage. It is slain. 25 XP. You leap over the twisted remains of the first Otorok. Immediately engage the second. Quick combat. Yeah, Otorok. You're never far from encountering more Otorok. Because they're always coming. There's always more Otorok. I don't know how... Do the, uh, has, it, has, it been, has it got to the stage where the Otorok can make more Otorok? Or is there some sort of... Because that would be terrifying. Yeah, because, I mean, if Otorok could make more Otorok, then they could just, they could take over the entire world in a few days. Well, okay, maybe not days. Because, I mean, they'd still be limited by how fast they could walk. Well, let's see. Let's see, Otorok, let's say they, they can maintain a pace of four miles per hour. Let's see, so they don't sleep, so a hundred miles a day. Let's just assume they let's just assume that assume that they can build enough Otorok that they can just overwhelm everything in their path. Because because there'll be thousands pretty quickly. Uh, okay, they can let's see a thousand Hundred miles a day. Let's see. Let's just see. Uh, they probably wouldn't be stopped by. They're, they're, they're kind of. Well, at least with the copper commander, they could build or steal boats, so it's not like water would stop them. 
And since they're made out of wood, wood and iron, those are two incredibly common materials. So they wouldn't run out of they wouldn't run out of resources. Yeah, so that's how they able to advance seven hundred miles a week. So let's uh, see. They go. Oh no. So in about three months, they've conquered the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they'll do then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way scarier than a zombie apocalypse because, you know, they have tactics and tactics and things and they don't, you know, rely on everyone inexplicably being incredibly stupid for a few days so they can build their numbers up. Yes, yes, that's the Otawaka Popolics. Yes. Well, we'll have to write. <laughs> yes, I to see someone write a survival guide for that. Do the wives at your side, just as the Otawak crumbles into a heap of debris at your feet, his face twisted with sweat and grime. He breathlessly congratulates you as he pries the, sh the battered, faceless head of his last foe. Last foe from the blade of his axe. There's more. More of them over this way, he suddenly cries, turning and dashing off to the south, where a large group of Otuak are locked in battle with four of his men. So I can fight them or not. Obviously, follow Guritwand into battle. As you draw to the fray, Gunwin turns and rushes at a pair of Otuak moving up from behind his men. You're about to head in the opposite direction, seeking to intercept a trio of the wood and iron fiends when picking a number. Bonus of 41. 21 from woodmanship, 20 from aura. And I've got to get 50 or more. Okay. Okay. Judging by what it is. Okay, I guess it's some sort of secret sneak attack. Got to get 50 or more, get hit, hit now. 51. Success, but only dust. The last possible moment, more like nano moment, you find yourself, you catch sight of an Otuok moving towards you from the white, the sinister being slipping silently through the brush. Brush raises his left arm as it prepares to deal you a deadly blow. It is a remarkable display of agility. You twist to the side, narrowly dodging the vicious swipe of your faceless foe. A split second later, however, you're locked in a brutal fight against the wood and iron creation. Another Rosework. Just going to quick combat that. 25 XP. You leap over the remains of the Otwork and rush to rush the aid of, of two of Gorin's men, the axe-wielding huntsmen. Having already slain two of the wooden iron beings, are locked in a brutal struggle against the third, moving up behind the Otorok. You deal with the unsuspecting fiend a death blow that sends it sprawling onto the leaf-covered ground. Before the sinister construct can regain its feet, the two men leap in and finish it off with a series of well-placed strikes. 
the men rapidly, promptly thank you for your help. I think we just about got all of them, says the younger of the two, his angular face riddled with scrapes and bruises. I'm glad to see the last of them. They're nothing like trolls. They never stop. A shout goes up from the company of the la- as the last Uteroc collapses in front of Gurund, a victim of the Master Axeman's deadly prowess. Despite a few minor injuries, no one has suffered any serious harm at the hands of a fearless and lethal enemy. Gurund, his face streaked with blood, oozing from a cut across the top of his forehead, moves up to you and meets you in a shoulder cross. Are you certain you can't make the trek with us? You're going to miss out on all sorts of fun just like this, he says, smirking. Gurind, standing at your side, leans heavy on his axe as he watches his men begin shifting through the remains of the Oterok. Suddenly. Um, okay. Heal first. Your heart skips a beat as one of the defeated... Oshwak, heat behind Luke Gurin, swiftly returns to its feet. The Oshwak, his head hanging to the side and its left arm missing, raises its remaining arm and prepares to strike the unsuspecting woodsman, huntsman from behind. So I've got three options. Shout a warning. Attack the Oshwak. I don't know if that'd be quick enough. Or use archery. Uh, first shout a warning. You shout a warning t- to Gruind, and he spins around just in time to parry the Otorok's blow with the haft of his axe. Then, with a series of brutal strokes, he finishes off the wooden iron being, making a point of removing its head once its remains are heaped on the ground. Alright, picking a number. Bonus of 30. 24 aura. Ten, 10 from luck, got to get 30 or more, pick now. 107, success. You suddenly spot something moving up on your left. Spinning about, you instinctively draw yourself into a combat-ready stance as two more Oterocks deal silently out of the tangled brush and attack. Alright, quick combat that one. 22 XP. The second Oterock immediately moves in and attacks. Quick combat that one. 22 XP. You step back from the remains of the second Oterok and turn to find Gurudin leaning on his axe. He steps up to your side and nods as he stares down at the shattered remains of your wood and iron and assailants. Never seem to really be done with them, says Gurudin, shaking his head as his eyes prowl the forest in all directions. Make hardly a whisper when they move. Dangerous, very dangerous. What devil is responsible for them, I don't know. But nothing about any of this sits well with me. Conan glances over his men and continues to make... who continue to make their way through the remains of the Oatrock. Begin to wonder what it is they may be searching for when, when your unspoken question is suddenly answered. We found these in some of them, says Gurind holding up a small copper cube, a perfectly square cube, no bigger than the end of your thumb, bears no marking. 
Gurin tosses you the cube and tells you to keep it. It's a copper cube. This small, perfectly square copper cube is no bigger than the end of your thumb. The cube was given to you by Grunwid. I don't know anything about them, he says. We found a few. Keep that one. It may remind you of the day we day we drew arms together against the Otorok. Well, perhaps we're finally done with... Suddenly... A cry of alarm rings out to the east. You turn in direction and shout, only to have a terrifying sight greet your wary eyes. Moving swiftly and silently through the forest, each of their long legs as thick as a chunk of a trunk of a small tree, a two towering Otorok, the wood nine giants, three times larger than their man-sized counterparts, are rapidly bearing down on the small company. Even though he shouts the first order, Guruin's men form this. Even before he shouts the first order, Guruin's men form themselves into a line as they brazenly prepare to meet the advancing threat. So I could join Guruin and his men, or slip away and leave. Obviously, join them. You join the line, placing yourself next to Guruin at, at the centre of the widget formation. Hold our line, sounds Gulluwind. They're not any worse than the others. Well, I think they're a bit worse. The nine men of Gulluwind's small company, their axes and swords drawn and their eyes fixed on the towering Otruck, stand ready to attack on their leader's command. Despite their bravery, their skill and their steadfast loyalty to man each of them long respected, you know beyond any doubt that these men the, that these men are outmatched by the foes now bearing down on them. Well, they don't have Umdraw's open wad. So, so I can gauge the Otorok with Gurind and his men or tell Gurind to leave the Otorok to you. Well, they are outmatched, so the latter. Gurind, his face bearing a look of grim Termination. Nods, nods and orders his men to fall back. Exhaling sharply, you step forward, steeling yourself to face the giant Otorok. You're startled when Gurind appears at your side. This ought to be something, he whis- he mutters, nervously glancing at you. As his thick fingers renew their grip on the haft of his axe. This ought to really be something. With that, the two of you charge the advancing Otorok. You making for the one on your left, and Gurunid the one on the right. Alright, it's a towering Otorok. It's got, it's got a description, but it's the same as all the other Otorok. Alright, the towering Otorok swipes at you. Ah, it went and scales a plus eight. Silly Otorok. You could have scaled a plus eleven. Alright, it stuns me, but, yep, it's, 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 it's going easy, gets, gets itself stunned, because it went and scaled itself to plus 8, it's now, a, it's a silly, silly foe, it's now, now it's a pile of so much match wood, it is slain, 42 XP. As the towering Otorok collapses into a shattered heap. 
You turn to find Gurinid pinned to the ground beneath the massive foot of the second giant. The brazen hunter, his face now a deep shade of crimson, gasps and groans as he struggles to escape from beneath the deadly bulk that's slowly crushing him to death. Without a second thought, you rush at the Otra, hoping to somehow affect the removal of its massive foot from the from the huntsman. Alright, picking a number. Bonus of 50. 20 from agility. 20 from body. 10 from luck. 75. I've got to get 65 or more to push hard enough. Pick now. 72. Success. Were you only... When you're within only a few feet, you launch yourself at the Ultrawok, slamming into its legs and with your shoulder, sending the wood and iron giant staggering backwards. As Gurin, grasping, struggles to regain his feet, you turn and prepare to engage the towering enemy now bearing down on you. It's a towering Ultrawok. I'll just quick combat it. And it is slain. 41 XP. With a loud groan and a sharp sound of splintering wood, the massive oak rock topples over and lands with a dull flood. Dull flood on the leaf-covered forest floor. Gurinid, his throat ablaze with the broad scrape left behind by the wood and wood nine giant's foot, steps up to remains and raises his axe with a foul blow. It cleaves the neck of the fearsome construct, neatly removing its faceless head. He casts, he casts you a quick glance before doing the same to the other slain Otrok. We need to be certain, he says breathlessly. Thank you, Zoop. You and Gorwind retrieve, receive the accolades of the entire company. You're obviously profoundly relieved that you're able to bring down the towering Otrok. You both do your best to modestly dismiss the praise. A few more scrapes and bumps than I had before, says Gurinid, but all is well. The larger company lost three men last month to those creased creatures. But they weren't giants like these. We need to be more careful. But how... To achieve it, so we live to fight again. Alright, which means I take the time to heal. With no further sign of any Otorok anywhere in the vicinity, you part ways with the company, bidding farewell to Gruenind and his men, before joining his crew as they strike out in formation. To the east, Gruenind approaches you and initiates a shoulder cross. We may meet again some day, he says, smiling. Until then, may the All-Father watch over you. I know better than to ask where you're going. But I, but I can wish you luck all the same. Good luck. Go in turns to leave, then suddenly turns back around. I'll let Jurig know I saw you, of course. Are you sure you won't come with us? No. Forget, forget I said it again. Farewell, Zoop. You linger for several minutes as you watch a small group depart. Gurid, moving a lot along with the wheel of his company, 
looks back once and waves before they disappear into the thick of the wood. Without further delay, you set off through the forest and make your way back to the road, where you happily find your faithful steed waiting your return. It's taking just a few moments to check over your equipment and make certain there are no more Otorok about, you mount your horse and urge the animal into a quick trot. As you head along the road, your mind begins to wander from your encounter with the huntsman, and you realise you never discovered the source of the ghastly screams, the horrid sounds that first drew you into the woods. Unwilling to believe the screams were those of anyone in Gurnit's company, and unable to reason why no one else made mention of them, you're left puzzling over their possible origin. You haven't gone far, far when you spot a two-wheeled cart up ahead, sitting at the edge of the road. A sturdy mule is, mule is hitched to the cart, leaning up against the animal, his, his bright eyes fixed on you. He's a tall, grey-bearded man in a dark tunic. It's a folly not to be out in weather like this, he cries jovially as you draw near. Just giving the old lad a bit of a west. Have you come from Briarmel? Try to avoid it myself. But it can't always be helped. Not many other places around. Until you're further south. You spend a few minutes conversing with the old man who, much to your surprise, tells you he's ultimately bound for Quiltbog. Through his immediate destination is the village of Stokebrook. You ask you about Stokebrook and learn it's less than a day's travel from here. I'll be there before nightfall. And you'll be there much sooner than that, he says, his voice suddenly scratchy, as he steps closer, staring mildly at your horse. Fine beast, that is. If it's yours, then I'm rightly oppressed. If you stole it, you better not tarry. Someone will be... <laughs> will be coming after this beauty. Well, I suppose you've had enough of me. On your way, lad. Not quite safe out, out there after dark. There's a fine... There's a fine inn in Stokebrook. Friendly folk. Decent ale. Do I never touch that sort of thing? You bid the grey-bearded man farewell and wish him luck. He smiles and waves but says nothing more. As you depart, he appears to be preparing to clamber back into, into his cart. If what the old man has told you is accurate, you'll reach the village of Stokebrook only a few hours from now. While the thought of resting for the road is enticing, you begin to wonder if you should instead press on and make for Krulbog with all possible haste. For a few moments, your thoughts return to the old man's mention of Krulbog. Just hearing the name of the town pass from his lips invokes an uneasy feeling that is yet to leave you. Before you can dwell too much on it, your thoughts turn to Aimlithalia and you contemplate your next course of action. As capable and skilled as you know her to be, you can't, you can't shake the profound sense of vulnerability that seems to attach itself to the young woman whenever she enters your mind. You hope... She's still safe. The ma... The ma... 
The miles and hours slip away as your horse carries you swiftly along the shaking highway that plunges ever deeper into the golden wood. Once more, you find yourself in a quandary over your next course of action as you weigh the benefits offered by a decent night's rest for you and your steed against those inherent in pressing on without any delay to your destination. As you approach a sharp bend in the road, a leaning signpost comes into view. The weathered sign indicates you're about to pass into Strokebuck, realising you must now make your decision. You, inhe- you hurriedly begin to consider all possibilities, but the sight that greets your eyes as you round the curve makes the choice a simple one. 128 experience to general, and that finishes these, this part, part 4. The next part is Stokebrook, where something is happening. Presumably. Presumably several somethings, as it's getting an entire part all to itself. I mean, if, if nothing happened, it wouldn't get an entire part to itself. Because, I mean, you, you can have you can have a just talky episode at the start, but you can't you can't have one 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 now. We've not really got anywhere, so I guess something has to happen. So that will be the next episode, and until then, farewell fellow adventurers sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.